What are the skills required for tomorrow's workforce? Welcome to another episode of Relearning Leadership, where we explore a specific leadership challenge and break it down to help improve your leadership, your organization, and just possibly your personal life. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by two friends and colleagues from the Business Agility Institute, Laura Powers and Evan Leiborn. Laura is the CEO based in San Francisco, California, and Evan is the head of advocacy and thought leadership based in Melbourne, Australia. And today we're gonna to focus on the research they conducted that was sponsored by the Scrum Alliance about skills for today's workforce. And I think this, the results might surprise you as they did me. Enjoy the dialogue. Well, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having us. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so we're going to be pointing our listeners and watchers to some of the research links um, uh, of the skills assessment that, that you did. I, I'm a little bit more interested in the why behind this research. Was, was there a hypothesis uh, you were uh, hoping to find or was driving some of this research you guys did? So let me take this one, Laura, for a sec. Um, when we study organizations and we study what's going on there, the what we're trying to understand are industry trends. What exactly is it that is going to help people in our industry? What is going to help people who have invested their careers and their businesses in, in business agility or agile, as the case may be? And so really for the skills report, the work that we did with the Scrum Alliance, what we were really trying to understand was what exactly are companies looking for? What are they hiring for? What kind of skills, what kind of expectations are there out there in the marketplace today? And it was, it, it sounds like a fairly simple question, but uh, <laughs> as, we, as we've spoken about before, it, it uncovered quite a few hidden assumptions that uh, may not have always been true. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I remember. Uh, Laura, anything you anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I, w I was going to say I remember at one point as we were setting this up, Evan was like, "This is this is really really simple, and I just don't see you know what's going to come out of this that's going to be like you know a new major aha or or whatever." And then I believe the word know, I used was boring. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boring. <laughs> so we we you know, gather the data and have everything come together. And Evan starts to dive into it. And it was really funny because he would flip flop back and forth between, yep, this is boring. And oh my God. And then in the next one would be, yeah, everybody knows this already. So it was quite a wild ride to see how this all came together. I, I would just love to be a fly in that room. That sounds uh, <laughs> sounds like some of the best research is when things are thrown at us we do not expect. So maybe maybe let's start there with some of those findings. Uh, what were maybe one or two of the key surprises that jumped out to your team? Well, let me start with what was the most boring, which was just take over the interview, Evan. That's totally fine, you know. <laughs> Like, but, but but this is where we started. So we so we started with the 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 like what were the skills, and we're doing the analysis. We're we're mapping responses because it's all qualitative. Um, we're looking at survey responses as well as job descriptions. Um, so published job descriptions on LinkedIn and so forth. And I surprise surprise, communication is number one. And 
every single skill study from the World Economic Forum, from wherever, always says communications number one, or at least in the top three. It's like, that's mm-hmm. not interesting. In the agile space, communication being an important skill is not particularly groundbreaking. So that was definitely the, the part where I'm going to Laura, it's like, how do we make this interesting? <laughs> but as we sort of dug deeper into the data, um, I think really the the uh, two of the biggest findings, which were just both gratifying and and I think a little bit disruptive, the first being that uh, agility or what we're classing agile acumen, the ability to work in an agile way, is incredibly high demand. So mm. whether we're talking, uh, it doesn't matter the role. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a scrum master, a product owner, a developer, a manager, or an accountant. The expectation of organizations is that you are working in an agile way or that you can work in an agile way. It doesn't have to be scrum, doesn't have to be a traditional agile framework, but they're expecting that acumen, that ability the, to exist within people. That was, I think, uh, a bit of a surprise to see how strongly that came out. But in so if contrast, I can, sorry, can I, can I pause you there for a second yes, to can. zoom in on that one before you jump to another point there, Evan, and maybe Laura can, can come in on this as well. Mm-hmm. What I found interesting about that point when I was reading that, that part of the research was it's, it's much less about a role, like you need acumen in a, in a specific role or a specific team player. You're really looking at the concept of the skill regardless of of position or role or responsibility, right? It's this it's this co-creative nature that that agile acumen extends beyond even kind of that traditional agile team. Am I reading that properly? Yeah, yeah. And I, I and when Evan started to tell me about this, I was like, "Yay, this is really awesome!" Because it tells us that we're making progress in terms of bringing agility to the world of work. It's no longer this special thing that some people in the corner are doing or that this team is bringing to us. But now it's becoming um, it's, it has infiltrated how we work to the point that we expect um, that, that, that people have these skills. And to me, it's a sign of progress. And I, I just thought it was awesome because I don't think we, we expected, like Evan said, to see that strong of a signal for that in, um, in the survey. Yeah. Yeah. It, it goes to the ubiquity, I think, of, of agility. I think you were you were okay. kind of saying, I think even at the outset of that report, like, okay, agile's everywhere in a sense, uh, and that's good and bad. But, but Evan, you're going to counter that point. Maybe I'll let you continue. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, actually, I'll build a little, before I counter, I'll actually build on that. Because one of the things that was really interesting when we were looking at the job descriptions in terms of this, this agile acumen is because it it gave us this this sense that agile has won you see all of these blog posts and linkedin articles and so forth it's like agile is dead and <laughs> yeah. and that is it's a frustrating uh, it, it's a very negative attitude and some of the points are valid um, that these articles rate. But when we look at it, it's like, no, no, Agile is doing very well. Thank you very much. It is, it, it, it's, it has almost been commoditized. It's become a standard. It's what people and organizations are expecting. Now, Agile as an industry 
that one may not be what it was 10 years ago. I'm not saying it's dead, Mm -hmm. but it is certainly pivoting and evolving. The business model that worked 10 years ago, that's dead. And I think that's where a lot of the tension has come out because there has been tension since the publishing of this report. So I think what I'm hearing from that is Agile is very much alive as a concept, as a value system, as, as even processes and frameworks inside organizations. And the skills and the Agile acumen those people need that are involved in any way with those teams is critical. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and which is actually one of the other findings is that Agile acumen... Uh, so. We, we were talking about the, the evolution from T-shaped skills to pie-shaped skills. Hmm. And one of the things that really emerged very strongly is that organizations wanted agile acumen and. It doesn't really matter what the and was. Right? And technical skills and management skills. Uh, but when we, again, dug deeper, what emerged was this idea of these multidisciplinary people. This was true no matter what. So it was agile acumen and, but it was also tech and, it was management and, coaching and. It didn't matter what the skill set were. Companies were hiring or preferencing the hiring of uh, people who had more than one functional area of expertise. And uh, it, it was it was it was completely it was all over the place in terms of what the combinations were, but what was common was that there was always this combination. And so we talk about T-shaped skills in terms of people having that that crossbar at the top, the the top of the T, which is those the thin, broad skills across numerous areas, and then that one deep subject matter expertise. But that's not what companies are hiring for anymore. They're wanting, and we're calling them pie shape. If you think about the the letter for pie, um, uh, three point one four one five, rather than like eating pie, which it's. it's I was just going to say, coming so. up on our uh, our U.S. holiday of Thanksgiving here, it got me got me hungry. Indeed, indeed. But uh, when we think about that symbol, we got those multiple um, depths, multiple areas of functional expertise. There, there's other people who are talking about comb shaped skills. You know, the ability to go. So even more um, ways to go deep than just pie. Um, Now, on a related note, one of the other fascinating outcomes of the report is that uh, um, hiring managers are not always articulating what it is that they're looking for. So there's places (laughs) where, like, communication comes out as really important. And in addition, there's an unspoken amount of screening for that that makes it even bigger. And a lot of the skills, including agile acumen, are like that. And I'm, I, I'm guessing that there are people who are trying to figure out, well, what does it take to get a job in the current economy? And some of it is thinking about those skills and how do I demonstrate it, even if it's not front and center in the job description for what I'm applying for. Hmm. Interesting, because it, it's relating to, I was listening to another podcast, and I'm going to forget the name here. Um, they were talking about the corporate ladder, right? Thinking about your career as a, as going up up a ladder, which is very linear. And and this particular author was was talking about change that to a pyramid, right? Go, go uh-huh. horizontal first, build a stronger base, 
and give you more resiliency as you climb in terms of leadership. I thought that was a really interesting. I think it relates to what you're saying, right? Having having a breadth going sideways creates more flexibility. It creates more resiliency. It creates more ability to work in complex systems. Is that is that an accurate yeah. connection? And, and actually, we talk about people having a career mosaic, not a career ladder. So if you think about a mosaic with little tiles that fit together to create a picture, um, some of them are on top of each other and some of them go side to side. And I think one of the things that leaders need to consider, you know, moving in, moving forward into whatever our future is, is how do you help people redefine what success looks like? Because, um, it's not your dad's old, you know, organization or your mom's, you know, org chart. This is a, this is a new look. And what I, I, I saw some study that said that 30% of, I want to say it was gen, uh, millennials have no interest in a management job. Um, hmm. So what's successful and what does that look like is it's, it's, an, it's the wild, wild west again. Hmm. Well, well, speaking of leaders then, so if, if we're looking at, all right, the, the employees as being kind of more agile acumen, and I would assume that applies to leaders and this multidisciplinary pie, comb, whatever we yep. might call that, I assume that could apply to leaders as well. Extend this out to leaders a little bit more for me. What What is it that maybe you're finding could relate to more of that leader's role and how they're behaving in organizations or the the, the the place that they play, I guess, in these organizations. Mm. But that's exactly what we found. So, so uh, management skills, I'll use the word management rather than leadership. Um, management skills in combination, multidisciplinary with whether it's coaching skills or technical skills, um, whether it was um, uh, management, uh, so obviously communicate like the human skills, the communication, the influence that was always there. I'm talking about like the functional skills here. Nope. Um, but the expectation was that management leaders in organizations themselves carried multiple areas of expertise. Mm. Um, a very common one that we saw across multiple uh, organizations who were who were hiring who were hiring managers was management skills with product management skills with technology with technical and management skills with coaching those mm-hmm. were sort of the three combinations with that management leadership skills that were most common so those that were looking were were management and product skills were people who, like product owners but a product owner with a with who knows how to lead who knows how to manage Right, rather than just a dedicated product owner, but the contrast was true. A manager who knew how to design, or to 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 prioritize and plan for product roadmaps mm. and product strategy, right? management and coaching. Right? The need for those enterprise level coaches seems to be drastically reducing, uh, and we won't go into that. But the expect, but the demand for coaching skill was still relatively high. But it's just that role. Sorry, that skill was now being put onto the responsibility of a leader rather than as a dedicated specialist skill set or sorry, a dedicated mm-hmm. specialist role. And similarly with the technology stack and or the technology skill sets, the expectation is that managers of 
in particular tech teams and 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 in a technology environment had deep technical expertise. Now that one interestingly was actually the least common. There were certainly um, uh, areas where uh, tech skills was a very common mapping, but that was like Scrum Masters with tech skills or delivery leads with Scrum Master skills and so forth. Um, but there was a after coaching, so sorry, after product, after coaching, the third most common combination with leaders was leaders who had technical skills, who knew what these concepts meant when their technologists, when their dev teams, when their product teams were describing problems or opportunities, the managers go, yep, I know what that means. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I think a lot of organizations had been struggling with because they had a lot of dedicated managers, people who had management skills and leadership skills, but were lacking the, the, the cross skill. But interestingly, mm -hmm. Almost as many organizations had the exact opposite problem where they had people in leadership and management roles who were good technologists, good product <laughs> people, or good coaches, but didn't have the management skill. Because uh, yeah. And the contradiction is organizations weren't developing them, weren't paying for them to develop yeah. their, their management skills. But that's an entirely different conversation. But having that multiple set of skills, incredibly important. I was going to say, what I'm hoping is maybe we will see a return to something that was more prevalent in the early days of my career. This is way before the you know Agile Manifesto. But you, as a leader or a manager, you could only get to a certain level in the company before you needed to do some number of um, lateral positions. So it wasn't a promotion, but it, but let's say you were in business operations. That's, you know, you came in and that's where you had been working and you needed to go do a lateral position for some amount of time in product development where you were part of the team that had to ship product and make that happen and vice versa. Um, and, when we talk about what does it take to develop these pie-shaped skills, it's not just go take a two-day course on something. Some of it is getting real hands-on experience doing something else, you know, something new to you, and then adding that to the portfolio of skills that you have. The issue is in the last 30 years, companies have become increasingly focused on we've got to do what it takes to hit the numbers this quarter or to ship this product to whatever. And they're looking to find the perfect person who already comes with all of these skills and all of this experience. And they're not creating the space for people to move into something that gives, has the headspace for them to grow and then adds to the richness of their experience and their skill set for the future for the company. So I think that's a call to action to some of the executives who might be listening to this podcast uh, and to, to the leaders who might be looking at, you know, what can I do to really help our organization have the resilience and the longevity to thrive beyond just what we're going to do for next quarter. Hmm. Let me uh, maybe touch on a couple of points. First, on the Evan point, um, you mentioned two problems, right? One is the, the the technologist or expert in some field having trouble shifting into coordination and people roles, right, and into that leadership sense. And then the other side of that is the leader who does it, and then we call it getting hollowed out. You you kind of let go or or completely delegate everything. And all of a sudden you're, 
you're kind of aloof, right? You're not connected to the work. You're not close enough to the work to understand the work. And all of a sudden you become a little bit, you know, unvaluable in, in that sense. And it, it sounds like you're, you're seeing both sides of that pendulum swing. And we see those people in our classes all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just sounds like it's coming out. So that balance, it sounds like it's really critical. We can't let go, but we also need to develop those leadership skills. So I really love the, the the phrase you use of of hollowed out. I, I've not heard that before. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. It's exactly what's happening. Um, I, early in my career, I was a public servant uh, for the Australian federal government. And anyone who's been a public servant, and, and I think America's got a very similar kind of approach, it's a very linear career path. And one of the big problems in the public service, especially when you're talking with, say, technology, is that the public service has cross bands. You get paid in a certain band. But uh, the bands are based on your hierarchical level in the organization, your management level. When we're talking about, let's say, technology and technology teams, the market rate for a technologist is higher than an administrative clerk, but they are hierarchically equivalent. Like right? so, mm. what would happen all the time in the in in the public service was in order to pay anything like a market rate, people were put into much more senior roles, uh, into management level roles, when really all they needed was a really good software developer. And but the minute you got into those roles, you were expected to lead teams and all this kind of stuff. And so what you had were a lot of very inappropriate people in roles and and they just didn't have they they didn't want to be managers. They didn't have the expertise. Um, A couple of years later, uh, I used to work for IBM and 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 there's issues don't get me wrong but the one of the good things that IBM does is they have a dual band promotion you can actually be promoted as a technologist multiple times basically your entire career right and never once lead people and and it's that distinguished engineer track is is what they call it and they've got the management track right? which obviously it's like management sales account management all that kind of stuff but this idea of having, um, and Laura mentioned in terms of the, 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 this is not your parents' business, this, there's no more corner office, but having this idea of dual track, having this idea of you can be promoted with the pay and the authority without necessarily becoming a manager. And so part of the issue here is that those people who are strong in one area, but not management, probably should never have been managers in the first place, but they just got promoted into those roles because that's what, that was the career path. That's the only linear path that was available to them in the organization, or in fact, culturally, the expectation of where they go. Whereas um, that, this, there's a systemic cultural change that has to happen in all organizations around just what you're worth, the value that you provide to an organization, and the expectation of management and leadership skills, which are not necessarily linked. They're, all, they're, they're not the same thing. I want to 
connect that to what Laura said also, because I think what you're talking about is leaders are basically created by the cultural ecosystem they're in, right? And and Laura, you mentioned the pressure of time, right? We don't mm-hmm. have time for this. Evan, you're talking about pay, right? That's a huge metric in terms of what people do, right? I, I remember at Google, you know, leaders stayed very tactical because they were measured on their technical expertise. So even as a leader, you were expected mm-hmm. to do design. You were expected to do coding because that's what you're measured on. I want maybe to to comment on on how that may have shown up in some of this research, like the the culture and the, and the the systems you're describing that shape these expectations, shape these these people to do what they do. If I were a middle manager reading this report, I would have some degree of frustration because for the last three, four, five, seven, ten years, my organization's been telling me that I need to empower my teams. Um, they need to be autonomous. They need to own their own thing. And now you're telling me I should be pie-shaped, and one of the ways that I could be pie-shaped is to be more technical. And I would like <laughs> to probably tell somebody somewhere, you know, pick a, pick a lane, what do you want? And that was what I was thinking. And then you said the key, I think, to that whole that whole line of thinking is it's about balance. It's yeah. about being able to balance the technical with the empowering teams and helping them be, you know, self-organizing and autonomous and holding them to account. And, you know, so it's that balancing thing. Uh, well, and I think it also just gets to the concept that leadership is is less a role than than a, a responsibility. And I think that showed up throughout your your report about it's less about jobs and roles and and it's more about skills and and yep. everybody owning and having and you know it's it's the act of leading not the leader and i think that's yes. what you're getting at here is everybody demonstrates and can demonstrate leadership yes and, and it's it's become a bit of a cliche hasn't it that we say everybody's a leader but the reality of the matter is everybody is a leader in certain situations. And part of the beauty of an accomplished leader is to know when to step into an active aspect of, of that, that skill set and when to say, hey, Evan's got this covered. Pete's, Pete's doing really great here. Um, I can just kind of be a happy participant. And that, that's an art form. Yeah. And that's also like, you got to address the human element there as well, the ego, the arrogance, the, 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 the feeling that I've got to be, if I'm not at the center of attention, then who am I? And, and, and I'm not talking about the toxic manager. Uh, it, it's, we all know the ones who are like really problematic. I'm just talking about your, your, average person who is trying to be a good, trying to do the best that they can, but also recognizing that their promotion, their salary bump, their KPIs, their status in the organization is based on the political shenanigans and goings on. It's based on who sees what you do. And so for me to step back and let someone else lead in a situation means I've got to be really feeling really secure that I'm I'm not going to be disempowered as a leader. I'm not going to be overlooked for those promotions once I step back. So everything you're describing is got to happen, but 
quite often the political systems in these organizations, that's what's holding people back. It, it's, it's, this is just, this is the, this is the politics. This is how organizations sadly often work. Yeah. Oh, and what, what you're describing is the difference between what we consider conventional leadership and post-conventional leadership. And, and conventional leadership is that hero, right? It's the, the in charge. It's the, it's the importance. It's, it, it serves the ego and it, it takes a strength to let go of, of that. Um, I just want to maybe poke one more question on the on the on this particular um, uh, skills uh, research, and then talk about maybe where you're going or what's next from this. But the question is, we have a love hate relationship with certification, and I saw that show up in your research here. And I'm just curious about uh, touch on how certification showed up uh, in this in these results, and and what did you learn? Anything new that you learned from that? So this was a bit interesting. Um, so. Uh, like you say, there is a love-hate relationship with certification out there. But what we found was that, uh, one, certifications were important. Mm. Uh, well, actually, no. Let me take a step back. Education was always seen as important and certifications yeah. as a as a <laughs> evidence of education okay. was seen as Good. important. But what the surprise was, was that managers saw certifications as more important as the than the individuals who had them. So when we ask oh. questions like, um, hmm. uh, how important was your certification to getting your job? Right? Individuals, uh, like a lot of people said, not at all, only a little bit. Whereas when we ask managers, how important are certifications when you're hiring? Right? They would say, very important or, or highly important kind of thing. So it wasn't huge. It was like a 30, I forget the exact number. I have to go back to the report. It was like a 30% difference between individuals and managers between mm. their perception of value of that certification. Now, what was then interesting is we also then asked the individuals. So, so we said, okay, so how important was it to get the job? Not very. Once you've got the job, how important is the education that, um, so from that certification, you had some education. How important was that education to the day-to-day -day work of your job? And that's where they said, very important. Hmm. They were, they were, uh, they didn't see the certification as the important thing, but they saw that the, the true value in, I can do more things because I've learned to do more things. So it's almost like individuals kind of undervalue that evidence of the education, but still see value in the education. Whereas managers yeah. value the evidence because that's how they that's how they recruit people. They can't they don't know you're you're good until you've started, and to get you started, they need some kind of proof that you can do yeah. the job, and that's where the certifications come in. Well, I want to, yeah, maybe put a raise, raise a glass to education. So I, I'm, I'm on that side of the fence and uh, you're surprising <laughs> me because I always envision people uh, on the, the, the employee side gravitating to the certification to get the job, but, but, but I'm hearing it from the other side and that's, that's surprising to me. Um, but not now that I'm hearing it, not um, maybe I shouldn't be. There's, there was a, <laughs> There was another piece of the research that I thought was rather interesting. Evan, was it about 30% of 
the 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 people in the survey said that their company would pay for their professional development for their education. So, <coughs> and there's some regional differences in this, but if you think about it, only a third of folks are getting the support from their organizations to develop these new skills so that they can continue to contribute and grow for the organization. Um, it's, it's an ongoing concern of mine that individuals don't always own their skill set and their professional development um, to the point of if I work at a place that has a kind of a, a crappy professional development program or maybe even a non-existent one, that I'm going to take personal responsibility for creating that and saying, hey, we're on the doorstep of the last month of 2023. What is it that I want to learn and to grow and to practice and to experience coming into 2024 that will help me be um, able to bring more value to my organization, be more employable, you know, all of all of that sort of a thing. And, you know, if, if I if I were to um, plant a seed for folks who are listening to this podcast, oh, well, that would be one of them would just be to say, do you own it? And what are you doing to grow in the way that you need to grow, regardless of where you're planted right now? Because the guarantee is that you probably won't be planted there forever. Um, you're going to move, things are going to change, whatever. So um, be ready for it. Yeah. Nobody can take care of brand you, brand you except for you. Yeah. So yes, invest absolutely. in yourself. Absolutely. Um, and connecting, Laura, to your stat of 30%, it, it matches the, the data we've seen from the Ken Blanchard Institute, who says about 30% of leaders also get formal education, mentoring, or coaching. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's n- no different than than other uh, types of leadership or employee development going on. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this has been fascinating. I'm curious, maybe where you're headed with with some of this. I know you've got your also your business agility institute report coming out uh, again for 2023. Looking forward to seeing that. Uh, any other kind of interesting uh, research you have on the horizon that we should be looking for? <laughs> oh, great head of research. How would you answer? <laughs> Uh, all right, so let me give you a bit of a preview for the Business Agility Report um, because it links in, there's some insights that link to what we found with the Skills Report. So uh, two key insights. Number one, every index, every measure on collaboration is down and down mm. drastically, um, mm. 8% year on year, which from a statistical standpoint that's actually a huge that's actually a huge drop so what does this mean uh i'm sort of like talking about this fear-based leadership that seems to be emerging in companies the economic crisis we've just come out of a pandemic into an economic crisis leaders are they're seeing cuts they're afraid that their teams and they are going to be the next ones and so they're building walls Uh, and so they're like companies are like, they're not innovating as much. They're not seeking out new customers. They're just trying to bunker down and protect the customer base that they already have. And inside the organizations, leaders are doing exactly the same thing. So every index on collaboration, every index on, on those uh, intra-company relationships are all down. 
That's obviously not what we want to see, but that is what we're seeing around the world right now. But the good news <laughs> is that the organizations and the leaders who are not succumbing to that fear-based leadership, uh, who are keeping their eye on that, that sort of being customer-centric, keeping their eye on business agility, responsive customentricity and flexible operations, value-based delivery, are outperforming those that are not. And so the number one uh, success measure or, or the number one measure of success this year is in business impact, financial returns and business benefits. And so those leaders who are actually being responsive and not reactive to the economic situations are outperforming those who are not. And this mm. is, I think, both highly positive for us as an organization, understanding what's going on, but also very uh, gratifying to see for those organizations who have continued to invest, even though things are te tense, things are tight. They're continuing yeah. to focus on educating leaders on how to be better leaders, how to manage, how to be responsive, how to listen to the market. They're the ones who are actually growing in this difficult economic situation. Well, I think to the astute leader, right? Opportunity bounds there, right? If most are hunkering down, time, time to, time to shine. So Laura, I'm going to give you the last word. Um, close us out here. What, what, uh, what would you like to say as our, as our parting, parting thoughts? So um, I would say that the call to action for the leaders who are listening to your, um, to your podcast is two part. Um, and it's, uh, you need strategies to, to, combat two things because if you can get through these two things there's great opportunity on the other side and evan hit one of those which is the fear there's a lot of fear uh, in the marketplace on your teams in your business and you need to find a way to paint a realistic and optimistic picture of what the future looks like the other F word that, sh that you need to think about is fatigue. Um, mm. Resiliency. I accidentally posted something about resiliency um, some months back. And out of everything that I have accidentally posted to LinkedIn, the response to that was just off the charts. Mm. Our people are fatigued. This is what year number three coming out, you know, the pandemic and then all of the aftermath of the pandemic. And so people are tired. Um, and when you add the fear and the fatigue together, it's a, it, it can be a really tough cocktail to, to deal with. And so as leaders, I think we need to figure out how to help rebuild resiliency and inspire our folks um, so that they can see the opportunity because there's, there's, there's so much work to be done in the world of agility and so much goodness that we can create. And, you know, we just, this is one of the speed bumps in the road. And I think one of the things that we're looking to do is this is the first time we've done this skills um, uh, research in this format. And we're looking forward to doing um, a, a follow on to this in 2024 because we will start then with two data points to be able to see how much of this is a snapshot of this current moment in time and how much of this is a trend. So stay tuned 
you need to make sure that you listen to Pete and his podcast because you never know what goodness will come next. <laughs> oh, I love you, Pete. <laughs> All right, checks checks in the mail there, Laura. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you. Well, Evan and Laura, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and sharing your results and even just the, the effort you put into the research. Uh, our community's better for it, so thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Relearning Leadership is the official podcast of the Agile Leadership Journey. Together, we build better leaders. It's hosted by me, Pete Behrens, with contributions from our Global Guide community. It's produced by Ryan Dugan, with music by Joy Zimmerman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a review, or share a comment. And visit our website, agileleadershipjourney.com forward slash podcast for guest profiles, episode references, transcripts, and to explore more about your own leadership journey.